Well, good morning. Glad that you are here. Um, how many of you survived the great hell storm of 2019? How many of you were affected by the great hell storm of 2019? All right, many new roofs, many cars were um, damaged, much property were, was damaged. And if you were not affected by this hell storm, just wait because there's another one coming, coming right? Welcome to Texas, Chris. You know, it's a joy of being in Texas these days. It seems like all the time there's some kind of a new storm that is coming our way. Have you ever thought about storms? And you know, there are some storms that provide us with an adequate warning, right? Um, hurricanes, generally, they don't just form and hit. There's usually days of preparation um, you know, people have days to get ready for that particular storm. You know, a lot of times when severe weather is predicted, it may be predicted out a day or two or, or, or more. Now, when it hits, sometimes it hits with greater intensity or sometimes it doesn't hit with quite the intensity that they initially said. But, but there are storms that come where there is virtually no warning. Um, a tornado. You know, wherever that thing drops down initially, those people generally have no warning um, to get ready for what is about to hit them. Think about hell storms. I mean, they may predict severe weather's coming and hell may be present, but there's usually not much of a warning that comes with that. Um, earthquakes, um, you know, there may be a little bit of seismic activity before the big one hits, but there's not much of a warning. Same goes for volcanoes. And, and um, I know that tsunamis, they've gotten a little bit better at providing warnings for those. But still, um, you don't know about a tsunami, whether it's really going to hit until that thing hits. Throughout 1 Timothy, Paul has been sounding the alarm, hasn't he? He has been warning Timothy, he's been warning the church, and he subsequently has been warning us to get ready for the false teachers that are either present within the church or will be coming in due time. Our message point this morning is this. We are to detect error and pursue godliness. As believers in Christ, we need to detect error, be able to identify what is right from what is wrong, and we need to, all of us collectively that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, pursue godliness, pursue becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 together. These are the words that Paul wrote Timothy and us. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before your brothers, you will be good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you, may ha that you have followed. 
have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserves deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You know, Paul has gone from writing, as we've looked at over the past several weeks, at church conduct, how we are to conduct ourselves in the church. And now Paul is returning to his initial instruction to Timothy about the need to to rid the church of false teachings and false doctrines. Notice our first point this morning. It's this, the Spirit's warning. The Spirit's warning. You know, I don't think any of us in this room would doubt that, that when Paul wrote, the Holy Spirit was leading him. That can be said of every one of our writers in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, everyone that penned all 66 books of this Bible. When they wrote, they were inspired by God. What I find compelling this morning are these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Paul was making something very clear to Timothy here. He was telling him that though that these words were not just words that I am pinning to you. He's saying that these words are words that have been inspired by God. The words that I am pinning and writing to you right now, these aren't just for me. These are directly from the Holy Spirit. And I bet you when Timothy read those words, he kind of sat up in his seat and, and took notice of what Paul was saying at this point because he is making it clear that the Holy Spirit is leading him. Now, all of us in this room know that all 66 books of, these, of this Bible is inspired word, right? But Timothy, whenever he received this word from, from Paul, he didn't realize that 2,000 years um, into the future that you and I would be studying this word as having been inspired by God and, and useful to us for our teaching and our instruction. Instruction. You and I know that all of this is inspired, but Timothy did not know that this. So Paul warns Timothy about people leaving the faith. Okay, these people are called apostates, people that leave the church. And Paul um, shows us some characteristics of these faithful people. The sad reality is that not everyone who hears the word of God will receive the word of God, right? Not everyone that graces the doors of the church are, are, are going to remain inside of the church. Not everyone that has professed faith in Jesus really experience a heart transformation and a mind transformation. They may have been coached one day to, to do this or that and you'll be saved. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? There's more to salvation than just praying a prayer, isn't there? Man, there is to be heart transformation, mind transformation, and life transformation. And that's what we're kind of seeing here are that there were leaders in this church that once professed faith in Christ, but now they have left the church because they have renounced Christ. Think about Judas, okay? Um, Judas is a good example of a person that, that, that on the outside looked like he was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. Think about him. I mean, he had the very word of God with him in the flesh. He had Jesus. Okay, he was able to touch the word. 
He was able to listen to the word. And we read in the Gospels that the disciples went out and did supernatural things um, representing the word, representing Jesus. But in the end, what did Judas do? He betrayed the word. He portrayed Jesus. And he did all of that for a bag of coins, right? Not everyone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus today are actually Christ's followers. Judas, like many since him, come into the church claiming to have been saved, but in the end they leave the church renouncing Christ because there was no true transformation. That's what was happening in this church in Ephesus. Okay? I think all of us have known people over the course of our lifetime that that one time, man, they appeared to be sold out for Jesus, but they left the church having renounced Christ and even said, you know, I just don't believe anymore. Now, every once in a while, I'll I'll, um, be either reading a book or reading a blog, and I'll come across um, a blog from a pastor that, that has left the church. And even they've left the church questioning whether or not they even believe what they used to preach. And that's a sad reality, but that is true within our churches today. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 9 through 12, or 9 through 11, he said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That's what we have happening within churches today. False teachers are rising and they're leading people astray. Even Paul told the elders of this church in Ephesus and warned them after one of his missionary journeys, before he left from the city of Ephesus, he warned those within that church, the elders and the leaders of that church, that there are going to be false teachers that arise with within this church, and you need to be on your guard and watch out for such people. In Acts 20, 29 through 30, Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You know, I think it would be safe to say that the warning Paul speaks about would be a warning for that present day and would also be a warning for our day as well. You and I need to be on our guard and, be, and, and always be conscientious of what is going on around us. Notice the characteristics of these false teachers. In verses 1 through 3, again, 3a, we read, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars who, whose consciousnesses are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. You know, these apostates, as, 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 as we're, they're being referred to, um, they are going to be led astray by deceitful spirits. A deceitful spirit is a demonic spirit. It's a demon. And these demons have one purpose, and that is to deceive you and me and to lead us away from the church. We also see here that, that the apostates had devoted themselves to the teaching of these demons. Demons are theology majors, one writer said, and they have their own systems of doctrines. We find the first doctrine of demons in Genesis chapter 3. It was in the Garden of Eden that Satan um, spoke these words through the serpent to Eve. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like 
God, knowing good and evil. Since that very day, Satan has continued to do that very thing, right? He has been trying to get you and I to believe this idea that we can all become gods and operate independently of God himself. That is a lie that he has been selling to us since the beginning of time. And we also see here that the demons, they are indeed liars. In John 10.10, the very first part of that verse says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What is the devil's purpose? To, To kill, to steal, to destroy, and he does this by lying to us. And understand this, if, 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 if Satan doesn't do that to us, guess what he does? He uses us to do that to other people. And so we need to be on our guard at all times. Those that leave the church have a seared conscience. Literally, the nerve endings to their, their brain and to their hearts have been, have been seared. Um, you know, I was trying to think of a visual way of, of doing this, but just imagine that this rope represents um, our communication with God. And, and right now, there's open communication. You know, you think about some people that have left the church and, and have renounced Christ and have renounced everything that they once believed and, and maybe even everything that they once taught. Now they're, they're so hard-hearted to all things related to the church and related to Christ and related to the Father that when you mention the name of Jesus to them, they just kind of just, you know, they just kind of um, well up inside of them that they, they're just hatefulness that occurs there. Well, what's happened is they have bought into the lie so much that their consciences have become seared. And the communication line between them and God, had literally the nerve endings have been burned. And, and we see here, I mean, just like this rope, when this rope, these nerve endings are these, these little fibers at the end are burned away, um, there, it just literally becomes one piece of, 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 of an ending. There's not multiple um, fibers anymore. There's just one clump and the same with this side. And that's what happens when our consciences are seared. Um, when, when, when we no longer respond to the truth. Have you known people like that? Have you known people that at one time were sold out for Jesus, but now they're so hard-hearted? Well, what's happened to them is their consciences, have the nerve endings literally have kind of been burned away, and they're hard-hearted toward all things God. You know, most of our vehicles have warning lights that go off. It tells us when we need to get our engine service, when our tire pressures are low, or when our oil needs changing. Um, and, and generally, whenever, like for my car and Connor's car, whenever they hit about 15%, um, every time you turn on that car, it says, um, you know, 15%. It gives an error code and tells you basically change your oil now. Well, not long ago, Connor um, began to get that notice, and he came in one day, and he said, Dad, my, my, my check oil uh, is telling me that I need to change my oil, and I'm like, Connor, there's no way that you need to change your oil. We just changed your oil, and he's like, well, the, it's showing that this is going on, and you got to know my son. My son doesn't let things go. 
okay? He will ride you until you respond. And so finally, I got tired day after day of of him saying, I'm still getting this warning, I'm still getting this warning, I'm still getting this warning. And so I go out to his car, I check his oil, his oil's full, it looks good, and then I go into the car and I start the car and I see that error code come up. And what happened was the last time we got his oil changed, the person that changed it didn't reset that, that system back to 100%. And, you know, as I was thinking about the seared conscience, you know, it's so easy for us when we see a warning or hear a warning for eventually, if we don't respond to that warning, guess what happens? It just becomes white noise to us, doesn't it? And that is what happens to a person that leaves the church. At one time, they responded to the direction and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but their heart has become so hard that now they don't respond because their consciences have been seared. Some, um, some people's conscience will eat at them, but eventually, if not checked and there is no repentance or change, their conscience will be seared. Notice also the Father's promise. These false teachers had turned the truth into a lie. They tried to claim that marriage was bad. They tried to claim that food was bad. But Paul makes it clear that what God had called good is good indeed. In in the latter part of verse 3, we read, God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. These false teachers were saying that marriage and food, certain foods, were bad. You know, the, the reason they said marriage was bad is because there was something that went on in the early church. There was a belief system called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, a Gnostic believed that all physical matter was evil. And so they believed that, that physically, as, 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 as flesh-bearing people, that we too were evil. And so they were against marriage because what do you have? You have two physical beings that come together, and, and, and that would represent two evil beings coming together. So they were against marriage. There were, there were other teachers teachings in the church that required one to follow certain dietary laws. Maybe they reached back to the Old Testament dietary laws, or maybe they instituted new dietary laws, but there were people that believed that both marriage and food and certain foods were bad. I mean, think about today. There are still people, there are still even um, in um, religions or even um, Christian groups that claim that marriage is bad. You know, there's some, you know, if you're a priest in the Catholic Church, then you are not expected to get married because, you know, they see that as being something bad for those that lead the church. You and I must watch out for preachers and teachers that deny the goodness of God and distort the Word of God. We must watch out for people that make God's Word say something that it does not say, nor was it ever intended to say. That is why personal discipleship is so important. You and I are not going to be able to detect a lie unless we know what that lie is, right? If we don't know the truth, then how are we going to know an untruth? I need somebody that has a bill, okay? The larger that bill is, the better, 
Okay? Some currency. Who has some currency for me that I can see real quick? Could be a 20, a 50, a 100, um, anything. You got a five? I need bigger than a five, but if you got a five, I'll take your five. What's that? Okay, here we go, right here. Ah, I found a 20. Okay. Um, how many of you know that bankers, um, they don't s- study counterfeit um, currency, do they? They study the real thing. Why do they study the real thing? Because how are they going to know a fake thing unless they know a real thing? So they study this. Every aspect of this 20, they know. Not only, I mean, they know what it looks like. They know what it feels like. So that if something comes through the, the drive through or through um, their, 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 their registers, they're able to immediately identify whether it's the real thing or something that is fake. Same goes for us. You and I must know the truth of God's Word. Because if we don't know the truth of this Word, then how are we going to be able to identify a false, um, something that is false? Um, Thank you for this. Um, I really appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Notice next. Notice the minister's work. We see here in verses 6 through 7a, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. You know, Paul's been encouraging Timothy to rid the church of evils, hasn't he? Now he begins to offer up instruction to Timothy as to how he can rid the church of such evils. Paul is saying, don't just read these words, but apply these words to your life. Paul gives instruction to Timothy. He tells him to be a good servant. Be a good leader. That is what all of us must be. We must all be good servants of the Lord. We must all be good leaders of the Lord as well. We must get trained so that we in turn can train other people. Paul wrote, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. One commentary um, puts it like this, defending Christian doctrine is dependent on modeling Christian living. Elders and all Christians must keep a close watch on their lives. Robert Murray McShane, a pastor who was used mightily of God in Scotland during the early 1800s, is a great example of this. McShane died whenever he was only 30 years of age. On his gravestone, other people inscribed these words about him. It says he died in the 30th year of his age and the seventh year of his ministry, walking closely with God, an example for the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He ceased not day and night to labor and watch for souls. Now, one time he said these words. He said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. I know that as my pastor, it is, it is essential that, that, that I strive in every way that I can to be holy. For the sake of my family, for the sake of this church, and for the sake of the ministry that God has given me. And that is true of all of us in this room. For the sake of those that we do life with, for the sake of our family, for the sake of this church family, you and I also must strive for holiness in our lives. You know, Paul provides a warning to Timothy. He says in verse 7, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly 
miss. Some of your translations actually say have nothing to do with old wives' tale. You know what an old wives' tale is? You know, it's something that has been passed down so much that it, 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 it appears to be true. Um, you know, one example would be if a black cat crosses in front of you, then you're going to have a bad day or bad luck. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever shared that? How many of you have ever believed that? What about if you love baseball? You know, I know when I played baseball, man, there was one thing that you did not do. You do not step on that chalk line. If you step on that chalk line, that means you're going to have a bad game and the rest of your team is going to have a bad game bad game. Man, that's just something that's indoctrinated into a baseball player. Just watch a baseball game, and the vast majority of them are always going to step over that line. Another one um, wives tell would be this. If you pull out one gray hair, then two will grow up in his place. Why are you laughing at me, Mary Beth? What, did I pull from the wrong spot or something? <laughs> um, you pull out one gray hair and two will grow up in its place. And my mom used to always tell me that if I sit too close to the television, I'm going to go blind. And I guess that actually happened. Um, you know, this was one that I had never heard before. And, and it was, it's this. And I thought this was pretty, pretty crazy that anybody would ever believe this. But if a woman is pregnant and she takes a bath, there's a chance that she could drown her baby. I don't, I don't write this stuff, man. I just, I just report it. Um, some things described as biblical truth that are not. These would be some, some, some myths that, that many of us have even been raised with. God helps those who helps themselves. Cleanliness is next to godliness. God wants me to be happy. No, God doesn't want you and I to be happy. He wants us to be holy, okay? Now, He doesn't want us to not be happy, but his primary goal isn't for our happiness, it's our holiness, isn't it? Um, we all worship the same God. You know, many people, even in the church, say, hey, we all worship the same God. We're all going to the same place when we die. Well, that's not true. Nowhere in God's words does it say that. Jesus made abundantly clear in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes in the Father except through me. Or how about um, Clarence, the angel? You know, he, he, I mean, this has been passed down that whenever you hear a bell ring, an angel gets his wings. I mean, people actually believe this stuff as being truthful, but it's not true. That is why you and I must have nothing to do with silly myths. You and I also must have nothing to do with, with people that claim new revelations from God or, or, or new inspired words from God, okay? You know, you think about the Book of Mormon. What is that? That is a new revelation that was given from God to Joseph Smith, okay? And, and, and there's a whole, there's millions of people that believe that to be gospel and to be truth, well, we know that's not true. But there are other books that are on our bookshelves at Christian stores that claim to be inspired by God as very words from God or the very words of Jesus. You and I must avoid such things. Okay, This is the inspired word of God right here, and we must know this and be ready to apply this in our lives. Notice our final point is this, the believer's perseverance. The believer's perseverance. In the latter part of verse 7, we read, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So we see here that there is a training that we go through as Christians. There's two kinds of training mentioned here. There is a physical training, and then there is also a, a spiritual training. Do you realize that, that in America, as Americans... Um, we will spend well north of $60 billion to get healthy each year. That involves um, gym memberships, diet plans, meal supplements, gym equipment, even clothing. You know, we all know that physical training is good. Being in shape is a good thing. I'm a bad example for you in this area. I need to do better when it comes to my physical health. Our physical training is good, is what, is what Paul tells Timothy here. But he also says what is better is training toward godliness. Godliness is good for the present, and it prepares us for eternity. This body will one day pass away, won't it? One day, every single one of us in this room will take our final breath on this side of eternity. And this body will be no more. But our spirit will live all of eternity. And so we need to take care of, of, of our eternity. We need to strive to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We need to strive toward godliness. Does that mean that we neglect our bodies? No, it doesn't mean that at all. God enables us to do good works when we have good health, right? If our health isn't good, that's going to prevent what we can do outside of the doors of this church. So we must take care of ourselves physically, but we also must take care of ourselves spiritually. Notice the Christian's hope here. In verse 10 we read, For to this end we toil and strive. To toil means we work so hard at something that at the end of the day, man, we just kind of plop into bed because we're so tired. Have you ever experienced that kind of a day where you got up early in the morning, you didn't go to bed until late at night, and whenever it was all said and done, you just kind of collapse into your bed? Man, that's the picture of what our lives should look like as a Christian. You know, I, I, as I, if, if, if I'm ever watching the Olympics or watching an Ironman race or, or something, it, it never fails that there's always one runner that when they get to the finish line, man, they just kind of collapse at the finish line. Man, let's run this race that God has set before us in such a way that when we get to the finish line of it, we just kind of collapse into the arms of Jesus. That is what the picture here is. When we strive for godliness, we work hard. We study hard. We research hard. We pray hard. We do all of these things so that, that we can know Christ more and so that other people can know Christ through us as well. And when our lives are done, man, let's just collapse at the end collapse at the finish line. You know, I, I've shared this over the past few weeks, but, but, you know, hopefully we've all been praying for that one person or, or two people that, that we are hoping will come to faith in Christ and hoping to join us on, at church, whether it be Easter Sunday or another Sunday. But as we've walked through Timothy together, Paul has emphasized the importance of prayer. 
You and I must pray for all people because Jesus died for all people. And now we must go to all people. And becoming men and women that pursue godliness means that we must train just like a physical athlete trains for a race or a competition, you and I must also train to become more like Christ, train in, in the area of godliness. We must become people of prayer. We must become people that read the Word of God and not only read the Word of God, but are transformed by the Word of God and also apply the Word of God. And we must take this Word and invest the words within it into other people. And we also need people in our lives that are investing the word in us. Do you have those people in your life? Are there people that you are investing God's word into? Is there someone that's investing the word into you? Beyond, beyond your Sunday school teacher and beyond um, your, you know, me, beyond Bill, beyond those within this church, is there anybody that you have in your life that you meet with on a regular basis that just invests God's Word into you and reveals truth to you and encourages you and, and holds you accountable? i got somebody in my life that, that we meet every single week together. And, and man, we, we're, we're quoting scriptures to one another. We're praying for one another. We're talking about what the Lord is doing in our lives. We're talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. We need that. As Christians, iron sharpens iron. If we want to pursue godliness and become more like Christ, guess what that's going to take? That's going to take work and dedication. And let's strive for that. Let us run this race of life so well that when we finish this race, and we just kind of collapse at the finish line in the arms of Jesus. All of us, man, let's strive for that kind of a life. You know, we are to always be on our guard when it comes to, to being able to detect error. And we also must always strive to pursue godliness. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the latter part of verse 10 it says this about Jesus. He is the Savior of all people. Jesus is the Savior of all people. Okay? Not all people are going to believe, but He is the Savior of all people. It says even here, especially of those who believe. You know, Jesus is the Savior of those who have professed faith in Him and repented of their sins and truly followed after Him. He died for all people but not all people are going to become Christ followers. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. I want to invite you now during this time of invitation to come and give your life over to Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning, you've been visiting this church a while and the Lord's leading you to make this church your faith home. Let's stand together. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus Father, just recognizing that we all can do more. I know that I can do more. Father, I can do more good works than what I'm doing now. Father, I know that, that I must pursue godliness and righteousness and holiness more than I do now. Father, may that be said of all of us in this room. May we strive every single day to become more and more like you. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made this morning, but if there's a decision that needs to be made, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will just speak to each and every one of us, Lord.
May we respond. If it's for salvation, may someone come forward this morning and say, hey, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. There may be some here in this room that, that claim, you know, I've been playing the game all my life, but I'm not really a Christ follower, and today I want to do that. Maybe some here in this room, Lord Jesus, that you, um, you're, you're just working with even now during this time of invitation. I pray that you will speak to all of us and reveal to us all how we need to respond to your word this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make this morning, you come. If you need to come trust in Christ, you come. If you need to come join this church, you come. You come if the Lord is leading in you. Otherwise, as, as, as band just kind of um, plays for a moment, let's bow our head, let's close our eyes, and let's just spend some time in prayer asking the Lord to reveal to us how he would have us respond to his word this morning. Let's just spend a moment in prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come.